Hello, everyone, and welcome to Avalar's 2022 Virtual Analyst Day. We are excited you could join us today. My name is Jennifer Gianola, and I'm the Vice President of Investor Relations. Before I dive into the details of the day, let me just flash our safe harbor statement and remind everyone that some of our statements on today's presentation are forward-looking. We will also mention some GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. You can find a reconciliation of these figures in the appendix section of the presentation and on our IR website. In addition, please note that we are in our quiet period. Today's presentation will focus on the longer term, not current trends. We are not going to make comments about the current quarter or year. With that, we have a great set of presentations from three members of our management team. First, we'll kick it off with our CEO, Scott McFarlane, who will discuss our compliance opportunity. After that, Amit Mothardas, our President and Chief Operating Officer, will discuss our growth priorities, including our international opportunity. And finally, our CFO, Ross Tenenbaum, will host a financial review discussing our diversified and resilient business model and present our 2025 target framework and long-term model. We will close the day with a Q&A session that I will be moderating with our presenters. Before we get started, just a few housekeeping items to make. We expect the agenda to be about two hours long. For our analysts, please feel free to submit your questions via the private chat directly to me at any time along the way. And last, you can find the slides and a replay of today's presentation on our IR website at adinvestor.avalera.com. I would like to now turn it over to Scott McFarlane, our CEO, to talk about our compliance opportunity. Thank you, Jennifer. Hi, everyone, and thank you for attending today. Heck, a lot has happened in the last two years, and I believe we've all lost sight of our basic story that we believe is so compelling. So I'm going to go back to the basics for a few minutes and then tell you why I believe there's never been a better time to be in compliance. I believe there are few companies and few markets that have a setup as compelling as Avalara does. First, we have a clear and unified vision to be part of every transaction in the world. And I am more confident than ever we can achieve this vision. Transactional taxes are complex statutory obligations required by all governments globally. Every business is doing it in some manual way. There's no competitive advantage to doing tax better than its peers. The only task is to be in compliance at the least cost and risk. If you talk to CFOs, most will admit that they are not getting it right and their challenges and exposures are increasing. Automation is the answer. And over the long term, we believe every business will automate. The good news is, after 19 years of doing this, we believe transactional tax automation in the U.S. is still roughly 10% penetrated and even less so globally, leaving many years of runway to compound growth at high rates. And Avalara is a leader in the space, and we believe is well positioned to capture more than a fair share of the market opportunity. Our market has limited competition, and on top of this, we have created three competitive moats. Our partner moat, our content moat, and our platform moat that should insulate us from competition 
and have more recently become offensive weapons in our pursuit of gaining market share. Over the last couple of years, we have expanded to a multi-product platform company, providing us with new solutions to globally challenging tax problems that gives us visibility into the multi-hundred million dollar cross-sell opportunity. Our business model has proven to be resilient, historically showing low volatility in good and challenging times because our customers must always calculate taxes and file returns. And our pricing model is designed to absorb downside shocks and upside bounces amid changes in economic activity. All of this continues to reinforce our belief that we can compound growth organically in the 20 to 25% range for years to come and do that while evolving our model to also driving consistent operating and free cash flow leverage that will lead us to a rule of 40 type model over time. If all of that is not compelling enough, let me double click on these four important points to help you see why I believe now is the best time to be in compliance. My favorite time at Avalara is to look at the consistent drumbeat of deals that come in each day. I look at every single one of them and I'm amazed at the diversity of the customer size, the deal size, the industry, the partner, and the triggers for adoption. I wanted to share several examples that came in in one day so you can see why I continue to believe in the long run everyone will adopt tax automation. Video delivery company has ordered Chargebee and Avitax for a total book value of $800. Online shopping company has ordered API, Avitax, Returns, and SST for a total book value of $96,903. Scale company has ordered NetSuite Basic, Avitax, Returns, Business Licenses, and Cert Capture for a total book value of $26,305. Equipment sales company has ordered Next for Windows by EBS, Salesforce, Sales Cloud, Avitax Returns, Cert Capture, and Tax Research for a total book value of $56,762. Education company has ordered WooCommerce, QuickBooks Desktop, and Avitax returns and cert capture for a total book value of $1,940. Distribution company has ordered CalcDash, Magento 2, Avitax and returns for a total book value of $9,490. While you watch the reel continue to show more deals, I want to make the point that these deals come in at high velocity every day from businesses across all different industries, sizes, segments, and geographies. These businesses have all been doing tax compliance in some manual way and have experienced the trigger that has tipped the scale in our favor to automate their compliance obligations. Some investors say to me, Scott, I love the vision, but you don't really think everyone adopts and that you can be part of every transaction in the world, right? Some say we understand adoption of the more complex businesses with multiple states and multiple channels, 
But what about the small local businesses or the single state filers? But here is what we're finding. Approximately 15% of our sales and use tax return customers are single state filers. Remember, there are over 13,000 taxing jurisdictions in the U.S. California has more than 400 jurisdictions and Texas more than 700. So even single state filers may have complex calculation and filing obligations. Some say, well, what about a local restaurant or barbershop? Well, we have those too. And with our point of sale solution and partnerships with leading point of sale providers, we are able to potentially get a piece of every one of those stores as well. In fact, we are starting to see point of sale deal momentum. Our latest deals include winning a landmark pet company deal for $300,000, an outdoor gear company for $185,000, a jewelry company for $28,000, and a luxury brand for another $28,000. If that doesn't get you excited, our returns for accountant solutions should. Tens of thousands of accounting firms do approximately 40% of the sales tax returns in the United States. To date, we go direct to these end customers to try to convert them to automation with us. But imagine if we could power all these accounting firms and get a piece of their 40% share. With this new offering, we are able to sell our returns platform to accounting firms to automate their work and provide them with new revenue streams around licensing and tax research. As we increase penetration with these firms, we get a cut of this action and the ability to sell through to end customers for solutions the accounting firms do not offer today, such as real-time calculation. For larger companies, the status quo is increasingly difficult to manage. As businesses are in more jurisdictions and selling through more channels, the complexity of their tax solution increases exponentially, making our ROI obvious. And as we look overseas, we believe the rise of e-invoicing and real-time compliance will mandate tax automation technology, thereby causing our international opportunity to follow the way of the U.S. Second, in my 19 years of doing this, I've never seen so much attention paid to us from new and existing partners, especially inbound interest from partners to us. This is what I refer to as the second wave of partners, as we've seen a shift from when tax compliance and automation was one of the last areas of focus to where the biggest partners in the world, including names like Shopify, Xero, Salesforce, GoDaddy, and Fabric, are coming to us because their customers demand our solution in the magic moment of commerce. Third, is that we are approaching a billion dollar revenue run rate largely on the back of our calculation and return sales tax products in the U.S. SMB segment. Today we are so much broader and have only just begun to really monetize the breadth of our portfolio. 
which is why I have confidence in sustaining growth and becoming a multi-billion dollar company. Our expansion includes several areas. In the U.S. indirect tax, we have recently added new products for use tax, point of sale, and TTR's tax research. And over the years, have grown industry-focused tax types, including those in communication, fuel excise, hospitality, and beverage alcohol excise. In global indirect tax, we have expanded to include cross-border customs and duties, enhanced solutions around VAT and GST, as well as solutions for e-invoicing and insurance premium taxes. We have also expanded the platform to include direct tax types, including 1099s, property tax, and licensing. Finally, we have expanded the segments and channels in which we are focused, including upmarket to enterprise through Avalara for enterprise, downmarket for emerging small businesses through Avalara for small business, and new channels such as accountants through Avalara's returns for accountants. And finally is our international opportunity, which we'll unpack in more detail here today. International countries are rapidly moving forward with more real-time reporting through e-invoicing, which we believe will expand the TAM by making international tax compliance more transactional, like U.S. calculation, and therefore requiring technology solutions. We believe the international landscape looks a lot like the U.S. did a decade ago. It requires a technology-forward, partner-centered company like Avalara, and we believe is ripe for us to replicate the moats and success we have built and continue to realize in the U.S. I'm now going to turn it over to Amit to talk more about growth drivers. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Scott, and hi, everyone, and thank you for attending our 2022 Analyst Day. I would like to talk to you more about our growth drivers, including how we think about new customer acquisition growth, how we will grow by monetizing our large base, how we leverage partners as part of the growth algorithm, and how we see a shifting international landscape accelerating our global market opportunity. We have had strong execution over the last few years, adding new logos to the business and growing ASPs. The chart on the left shows our growth in core customers by segment. As you can see, we have had meaningful growth seen across our core customers across all size segments and have grown our total core customer count by 22% in each of 2021 and Q1 of 2022. The middle chart shows how balanced we are by revenue growth across customer size segments. Many investors think that we are an SMB company, and that means that we only cater to small businesses. But this pie chart shows we are pretty evenly distributed across small, medium, and large businesses. And finally, the chart on the right shows that our average trailing 12-month revenue per core customer has increased meaningfully by segment. This is a result of larger wins and expanding our customer base through upsell and cross-sell motions. Given how early we are in the penetration of our market, our growth recipe is to strive to continue to add new customers at a similar rate while increasing our average revenue per customer through the cross-sell of new products 
natural customer expansion, and strategic pricing. The heritage of Avalara has been weighted towards monetizing new logos. We have recently entered a powerful time in Avalara's growth story where we can continue to monetize new logos, as I just discussed, but also monetize a very large customer base by providing them with more value. Today, we have nearly 20,000 core customers, almost 34,000 billable accounts, and nearly 100,000 end customers. That is a large and rapidly growing base to which we can monetize through expansion and cross-sell. Now let me discuss cross-sell. I'd like to double-click on our early momentum that we are seeing selling newer products to the large base. And I reiterate that this is early. We have still got low penetration, but are seeing early momentum that gives us confidence that this selling motion is really working. The charts on this slide show that our sales to existing customers for expansion and cross-sell. As you can see, we have had strong growth in our base. More than a half of our upsell value has come from customer expansions, but we are also seeing solid growth from cross-sell. Historically, cross-sell has been comprised of selling our returns and certificate management products and additional connectors as customers become omni-channel, and also includes one-time services such as Nexus studies, voluntary disclosure agreements or VDAs, and back filings. Going forward, our focus is to increase cross-sell by leveraging our newer strategic products. Our customer account management team, or CAMs as we call them, is focused on cross-sell of our new strategic products, including things like USACs, license management, TTR tax research, cross-border, and point-of-sale products. The chart on the left shows our progress in each month of Q1 2022 versus Q1 of 2021. For the pipeline we developed for our strategic products, which averaged a year-on-year -year growth rate of over 150%. The chart on the right shows the growth in sales value of the same products, which shows a year-on-year -year growth rate of over 200%. Approximately 16% of our Q1 22 cross-sell already comes from these strategic products. I would note that it is early in the cross-sell opportunity, and we have a lot of execution to get right. But if we do so and manage the sources of downsell and churn, we expect that we can maintain our net revenue rate expansion of 115% or in that area. And finally, I get really fired up by the actual deals and would like to share some examples of customers that have meaningfully expanded their spend with Avalara by buying additional products and new enterprise deals with marquee customers. In our last earnings call, we announced that we won one of the largest customer deals with a battery distributor company for a deal value of $509,000, including USACs, our exemption certificate management solution, our SSC program, TTR tax research, and Avalara license management, formerly business licenses. This is an expansion of an existing customer and provides exciting evidence of our potential to, in this cross-sell opportunity. Next, we won a large furniture retailer for a deal value of $452,000, including point-of-sale returns, 
exemption certificate management, and Avalara license management, formerly business licenses. This was a long-time customer that migrated to a new financial application system in 2018. In addition, this customer is evaluating us for our TTR tax research, property tax, and 1099 solutions. We are really excited to announce that we have won a large enterprise deal with Snowflake, the data cloud company with 4,000 employees worldwide. We are thrilled that Snowflake selected us for our sales tax calculation, returns, exemption certificate management solutions. Snowflake has been rapidly expanding globally and selected Avalara due to the need to automate to improve efficiency and mitigate risk. Snowflake did a rip and replace due to our accuracy, ease of implementation, and lower cost than the incumbent. We have robust out-of-the-box functionality which allows for easier design, configuration, implementation, resulting in less needed for customization which leads to a lower implementation cost. Finally, due to our accuracy, we decrease potential audit liabilities resulting from calculating incorrect sales tax rates. Finally, we won a Fortune 500 American industrial company. I think this may be the first time we are announcing a rip and replace of a competitor in a Fortune 500 company. The company needed Avatax calculation, returns, our exemption certificate management solution, all through an Oracle cloud connector to ensure accurate tax determination and compliance. The company's products are used worldwide in aerospace, automotive, commercial transportation, packaging, building and construction, oil and gas, defense, consumer electronics, and industrial applications. This is a great win for us. You know, many investors ask us if we can provide a relative value framework by product. It's not as easy to do as it is for per employee or per seat based model. Our models work based on metrics like transaction volume, number of jurisdictions, which tax nexus, number of certificates under management, and other things like that. But let me provide you with a framework for how to think about it. When we look at our core customers, we see that 88% have calculation, 72% have returns, and 32% have certificate management. Theoretically, all of these could get to 100% penetration. And when we look across all our nearly 20,000 core customers, the average value for calculation is around $19,000. For returns, it's around $12,000, and for cert management, it is $6,000. Now, our newer strategic products currently have a very low penetration in our base. This gives us the opportunity to continue selling not only more returns and certs, but also to sell many more strategic products that can help us expand the value of our large and growing customer base over time. Let's look at what this opportunity could look like. We've recently developed a proprietary algorithm that identifies the next best product to cross-sell into each existing customer's portfolio. This is really powerful because it is supported by our customers' transactional data that runs through our system. So we can see where customers have cross-border and VAT transactions, but don't subscribe to these solutions. 
and where customers have exempt transactions but don't have our exemption product. For example, our customer account managers recently began using this tool to more effectively target their sales efforts. When we take the average expected value, we would yield if it's sold to the top most recommended product to each existing customer. We estimate that it could increase revenue by 130 million. And if we add the next best five products, we estimate it would be worth more than 400 million dollars in annual revenue. The pie chart illustrates the composition of the next best product recommended for our existing customer base. Please note that we believe this is a conservative analysis that excludes cross-sell potential to end customers of our e-commerce platforms and partners and our international customers. Attach of SST and our recent acquisition offerings such as e-invoicing, track 1099, insurance and property tax is not included. Nor does it contemplate customer expansions, pricing uplift, or continued growing base of customers for Avalara. Lastly, I'm going to touch base briefly on partners. As you know, we have always been a partner-based business. And that means we are focused on being deeply integrated into all business applications on one side. Today we have over 1,200 signed partner integrations and governments on the other. With that, we can become the standard for tax and broader compliance and really have a shot of being a part of every transaction in the world. I am really excited about the progress we have made with our partners. We view Shopify as a model of how to strive and, and build all our partner relationships as they evolve. Our relationship with Shopify has been expanding ever since we signed the first partner agreement with them in 2015. We started by being included in Shopify's platform for their Plus merchants. And in 2021, we announced Shopify selected Avalara's cross-border solutions to power both their Plus and non-Plus merchants calculating duties, tariffs, in-cart at the time of transaction. This is a great example of how our platform innovation with cross-border won us the expansion opportunity with Shopify. And finally, on our Q1 earnings call, we announced that we executed an agreement with Shopify to expand our services supporting merchants beyond Shopify Plus. We believe this means over time we have the opportunity to be the calculation engine for Shopify's entire base. Over the last year, we have added many additional new exciting partnerships. We grew our marketplace customers by 47% year-on-year as of March 2022. We are expanding our Avalara included program and adding new partnerships with Zero. We also added a new very large yet-to-be-named marketplace to the program that comes with more than $2 million of revenue per year, plus usage growth as they implement and scale our solutions. With Davo, our acquisition that we made recently, we added connectors to some of the most modern point-of-sale providers, including Toast and Clover, and also earlier in the year announced a big partnership with one of the largest point-of-sale vendors in the space. In addition, we are advancing our relationship with large accounting firms 
and we are talking to more potential partners in the areas of payments and point of sale. Compliance has become a mission critical and an essential area that our broader partner ecosystem is focused on solving as the complexity continues to grow. Our strategic partner activity is very active and in many cases we find partners are coming to us to solve the challenges that they and their customers have to be dealing with around tax compliance in today's omni-channel world. I am going to transition to discussing our international growth opportunity. Firstly, let me begin with the State of the Union of our international business. In 2021, our total international revenues represented 8% of the total company revenues. After strong year-on-year -year growth of 34% in 2020 and 79% in 2021, we are experiencing some challenges in 2022. Let me share some key statistics to help you understand the composition of our international business. I am going to focus on our European business since it really accounts for the vast majority of our international revenues. From a customer perspective, we ended 2021 with nearly 2,300 direct customers accounting for $16 million in revenue and over 14,000 customers through our large European marketplace partner for around $27 million in revenue. Of our direct customer base, approximately 35% are domiciled in the UK and approximately 20% are domiciled in Germany and Belgium. Regarding our large EU marketplace partner, we made changes to our contract in the beginning of Q4 2021 with the expectation we would see higher customer volumes. These volumes have not yet materialized and we are not expecting it. Regarding our direct business, this business has grown rapidly in the last two years due to benefits from regulatory changes and enhanced VAT products. One regulatory change was aimed at making European taxation more simple for merchants by allowing them to register and file in fewer European countries where those countries would then share tax information and monies with the other countries in the union. This change is aimed at getting more merchants to register and file through the number of registrations and filings per customer over time will be fewer. We believe our opportunity remains very large to capture and need and launch a VAT compliance offering for customers of all sizes and for more partners beyond our large European marketplace partner. We expect this managed VAT solution to be available in Q4 of 2022. In addition to these challenges, as we entered 2022, we struggled to keep pace with sales and marketing capacity hiring. To address this collective issue, we have appointed Greg Chapman, a long-term Avalarian and a veteran of the company and an SVP who has overseen our entire partner business development model to lead our European business. We expect Greg to reinvigorate the European direct business, ignite partner relationships, and build out our international moat, expanding our go-to-market to more regions and work with more products to deliver a strong managed returns offering. We expect that these initiatives, coupled with our expanding e-invoicing initiative, will allow us to capitalize on the large international opportunity.
Compliance is entering the next adoption cycle with the momentum of e-invoicing and real-time reporting. Government-mandated real-time compliance is driving global adoption across the world, boosting software spending over the next decade. As a result, tax compliance technology is quickly becoming mission critical. Our international growth strategies include, firstly, to expand our direct business, to build out our presence with localized marketing and sales in the Benelux and Dock regions. We will continue to offer multinationals our Avatax sales tax solution and offer, later this year, a robust managed returns product for businesses and partners domiciled inside and outside of Europe. Secondly, it's to build out and win the e-invoicing opportunity. We view this as a game changer in our space as governments are effectively mandating technology-driven compliance to help eliminate the VAT fraud gap. And lastly, the shift to e-invoicing will allow us to build an international moat like what we have built in the United States. This will allow us to have a global moat integrated into any business application on one side and any government on the other. We believe this will be a powerful position that will be very difficult to replicate and on which we can support tax and a broader set of real-time compliance activities. So what is e-invoicing, you ask? Well, it's a simply a digital transmission of sales and purchase documents between businesses, governments, and consumers. E-invoicing has been a trend for many businesses as they seek efficiencies with trading partners, but the momentum towards e-invoicing is accelerating as governments are legislating its use to close the VAT gap of over 160 billion euros annually. These mandates require businesses to transmit e-invoices containing accurate data over a certified network to which governments have access and are a party to the transaction. This effectively makes the invoice a tax return and makes compliance transactional while accelerating tax remittances. We believe this is the perfect setup for Avalara as this evolution requires a technology and partner first company with experiences of integrating to businesses, applications, and governments. Avalara will leverage its existing and expanding technology partnerships to infuse e-invoicing functionality with ERPs, billing systems, marketplaces, e-commerce platforms, and other applications that create or consume a sale of purchase document. This will be done in service of connecting global trading partners to our networks, so any business can buy or sell from or to anyone. Those transactions will be combined with Avalara's real-time accurate compliance data, including VAT, cross-border, and other tax types, and transmitted across our certified network. If you take anything away from what I just said, it should be that we believe e-invoicing greatly expands our international addressable market as the governments are effectively mandating a technology automation solution for compliance. The result is that international compliance will become more transactional and look more like the United States, allowing Avalara to extend our U.S. moat and success globally.
Like with everything we do, complexity is our friend and a key driver of our business. It rolls out e-invoicing differently. One dimension is how the governments choose to be a part of that transaction. Post-issue, pre-issue, clearance, or periodic. Eventually, we believe the governments will be a party to the transaction and receive their money in real time. Another dimension is the timing of the rollout of e-invoicing by country and for different types of transactions, for B2B, B2C, and B2G. Another is the standard for which e-invoicing systems are required to talk to the governments. Some are standardizing on PEPL, a common framework for secure cross-border exchange of electronic business documents, while others have different and more customized ways to integrate. We often talk about how omnichannel complexity is a great growth driver for Avalara in the U.S. How businesses that used to be a store down the street, but today they are selling through stores, e-commerce, multiple marketplaces. This means businesses can be selling anywhere and have omnichannel complexity. This exponentially increases compliance complexity and drives a need for automation. We expect the international complexity created by e-invoicing to be a major growth driver for Avalara. Imagine being a multinational business that has to deal with VAT and all these different e-invoicing requirements by country, and then also deal with cross-border duties and tariffs and sales taxes in the U.S. This type of complexity is Avalara's best friend and the ultimate driver of tossing out status quo in favor of automation. The result of e-invoicing will be our ability to extend our U.S. moat globally. You see, because unlike in the United States, international tax calculation has never been a problem. So it has been difficult to create a moat like we did in the U.S. Now, because of the push forward with e-invoicing, international tax is going to become more transactional. Like that of the United States and sales tax calculation. This will allow us to expand partnering with business applications, providers, and governments to build a global network on which we can do any type of compliance. This is our vision to be a part of every transaction in the world coming to life. By building a network to address the e-invoicing opportunity, we will be moving our global SaaS compliance platform forward to address a broader e-compliance opportunity. That's because on our rails where we integrate businesses, governments, and consumers, we will be able to support a broad complement of compliance documents from classic VAT compliance documents to custom declarations and business licenses in addition to other documents that may be supported by third parties. By coupling this with various document management services such as authentication, and verification, we and third-party developers can build additional applications for tax, compliance, risk management, fraud protection, and much more. In closing, we are very excited about e-invoicing, which represents a paradigm shift in our international market that will effectively mandate a technology-driven solution over the status quo. This change will allow us to extend our U.S. integration mode globally, 
to build a global cloud compliance platform that can hand in periodic and real-time tax compliance in addition to a host of broader compliance requirements. We believe this accelerates our vision to be a part of every transaction in the world. I'd now like to turn it over to Ross to walk us through the financial highlights and present our 2025 target framework model. Thanks, Amit. Hi, everyone. Thank you for taking the time to join our 2022 Annals Day. I want to hit a few topics that come up in nearly every investor meeting, including risk of exposure to e-commerce, risk to our customer base of a potential recession, and risk of partners having price leverage over us. And then I will transition to talking about our 2025 intermediate term and long-term targets. First, let's talk about our overall business diversity. We have approximately 20,000 core customers and nearly 100,000 total end customers with no significant concentration from any individual customer. The pie chart shows that we are very diversified from a partner perspective. Additionally, many ask about which partners have price leverage over Avalara. For the vast majority of our partner relationships, our partners are referring business to Avalara, where our sales team works the deal and closes business on our paper. We then own the customer and our customer account management team will then work to retain and upsell our customers. Our partners don't have input or leverage on our pricing to our customers. Now there are a few partners that have more influence over our pricing, including our large EU marketplace partner, our SST program, where the US state governments are our partners, and the fees we get directly from our Avalara included model. Combined, this accounted for approximately 12% of 2021 revenues. We are also very diverse by industry and customer segment. The left chart shows our diversification by industry, and we note that retail, where e-commerce is most prevalent, comprised 18% of trailing 12-month revenue. The right chart shows our trailing 12-month revenue by customer size segment. Many investors worry that we are overexposed to very small customers that may be more challenged in an economic recession. You may find this chart surprising in that it shows we are highly diversified across all size segments with more than 50% of our revenue from medium and large businesses. We expect our small business category, which accounts for 33% of revenue and includes businesses with 5 million to 50 million of revenue, would also hold up well in a recession. E-commerce has been an important trigger for the business and we believe will remain important for many years to come. Fundamentally, Avalara benefits from trigger events that increases complexity, thereby tipping the scale from manual status quo to automation. E-commerce is one of many triggers, but it is an important trigger because these businesses are often selling in multiple channels and many more jurisdictions. Imagine trying to manually manage tax compliance when you're selling in some combination of stores, e-commerce, and multiple marketplaces and doing so across many of the United States' 13,000 taxing jurisdictions. Potentially, even globally, where you have to deal with duties, tariffs, VAT, and GST. While the world saw an acceleration of e-commerce in the pandemic, and this helped our business, this dynamic and increase in complexity will be ongoing for a generation and supports our belief that in the long run, everyone will automate while we are still only around 10% penetrated in our core U.S. market. When you put it all together, again, you can see our diversity as 18% of our revenue comes from retail and approximately one third of our revenue 
comes from all our customers that are classified as marketplaces or have a connector to one of our Avalara included partners such as Shopify and BigCommerce or have a connector to one of our e-commerce direct partners such as Salesforce and Adobe. I believe the diversification point should help investors get more comfortable with Avalara being a low beta and more insulated from a recession. I would like to provide two more data points regarding this. If we look at 2021 U.S. subscription and returns revenue, approximately 60% of it was comprised of calculation products, most of which are tied to transaction volumes, while 40% of it was comprised of compliance products. Most of the compliance products, chiefly U.S. sales tax returns, do not fluctuate with economic activity. In other words, if a business has nexus in a jurisdiction, it has to file in that jurisdiction no matter how well or poorly their revenues are performing. This makes the returns business very well insulated from challenged economic activity. And on the calculation side, investors often worry about customers downgrading their calculation subscriptions in the event of challenging economic conditions. This slide shows an illustration of how our business and pricing model are designed to insulate us from difficult economic times. The top chart shows an example of three tiers in our calculation subscription model, which would likely be purchased by smaller customers. Let's assume a small customer is in the 10,001 to 15,000 transaction band and paying a $6,852 annual calculation subscription. We assume customers are operating at the midpoint of the band or 12,500 transactions. This means the customer would have to do 2,500 fewer transactions or 20% less to be able to move down a tier. In this event, the customer wouldn't actually move down as they would be at the upper bound of the lower tier and risk having to pay upgrade fees to move back up. So customers typically have to be down 20 to 25% to move down a tier. In that case, the customer does move down a tier. Their new annual calculation subscription would be $5,457 or 20% lower. Now, if you consider that most customers have calculation and returns, and the returns volume typically does not experience volatility or downgrades, then the decline in revenue for this illustrative customer would be more like 10% of total revenue for both products. Furthermore, these downgrades would typically happen around the renewal. The Avalara Manifesto states our prime directive as efficient growth. We are proud that since our IPO in 2018 through 2021, we have sustained a 37% compound annual revenue growth rate, along with three consecutive years of positive free cash flow and our first year of non-GAAP operating profit in 2021. Now nearing a $1 billion annual revenue run rate, and with our sights locked on becoming a multi-billion dollar revenue company, we are entering a new operating model paradigm that will couple high revenue growth rates with sustained and improving operating and free cash flow margins. For the first time, we would like to introduce an intermediate term model. Before doing that, I would like to call it a few assumptions. We are looking at a multi-year horizon, and our intermediate term growth target contemplates our current visibility, but does not assume a further deteriorating macroeconomic environment or prolonged recession. We believe our intermediate term target around OPEX and margin expectations are within our control. We expect to continue to leverage M&A to build the business and accelerate certain important growth initiatives. We will try to do M&A in support of our model, but we will also be opportunistic regarding potential highly strategic acquisitions that could change the near-term composition of the model around either growth or profitability. 
If that should happen, and there can be no assurance that we will be presented with any such opportunities, we would expect to share how we think about it and our plan for how the model would evolve post any such acquisition. We remain in the early days of penetration at big market and still believe we are a growth story, where we can sustain strong growth for a number of years as we build a multi-billion dollar revenue company. We also believe we can do that with significant margin improvement. Should we see opportunities to accelerate growth, we may elect to slow our margin evolution, and if growth should sustainably slow below our guidance, we will look for opportunities to evolve margin more quickly. Between now and 2025, we expect Avalara to compound organic revenue growth in the 20 to 25% area, and we expect 2025 operating margins in the 10 to 15% area, and free cash flow margins higher in the 13 to 18% area. If we find opportunities to increase growth, we may deliver lower margin, and if growth sustainably dips below, we would deliver higher margin, with a focus on targeting a rule of 40 combination of revenue growth and free cash flow margin. Now let me give you some more details for why we believe we will get there. I'll go through the gross margin opportunities in the next slide in more detail, and on this slide discuss our other OPEX opportunities. We believe we can improve R&D as a percent of revenue to 16 to 18%, from the low 20% area today. Over the last few years, we are thankful that investors allowed us to increase our R&D expense as a percent of revenue so that we could more quickly expand the team to build and enhance our products and platform. These investments have paid off as we have built and assimilated numerous additional products to drive our cross-sell opportunity, modernize various areas of our platform for growth and efficiency, and increase our initiatives around integration, automation, and security. Now with more than 1,250 product and engineering personnel, we believe we can still be highly innovative and fast moving without having to add net new personnel. To achieve this, we are building more robust prioritization frameworks that will help ensure we are allocating our investments to the most valuable products, harvesting mature products, and killing initiatives that don't meet our expectations. We believe we can improve G&A as a percent of revenue from 14% in 2021 to 10 to 12% in 2025 as we scale and increase our discipline and focus in this area. We've always said that as a growth company, delivering above 30% growth over the last few years, that we don't want to earn the light side with sales and marketing expenses. When we benchmark sales and marketing as a percent of revenue, we appear better than our peers. That said, we believe we can also drive leverage in sales and marketing expense as a percent of revenue from 38% in 2021 to 34 to 36% in 2025. This may fluctuate if we see valuable opportunities to invest in growth. We won't hesitate to do so while keeping in mind our commitments to the intermediate term model. In addition, efficiency will be impacted by the mix of newer products and geographies that we enter. Here are some areas we believe we can gain leverage. By focusing on the golden ratios to reduce the ratio of non-quota carrying headcount to quota carriers and marketing program spend. By increasing our sales productivity metrics through a more efficient sales motion, multi-product sales with higher ASPs, and an increasing mix of growth from our customer base. By automating and driving a low-touch model for small customers to drive efficiency and engaging with a more customized model for enterprise customers to drive up ASP by obtaining more leverage and value from our partner per unit of commission and evaluating areas where we can calibrate commissions commensurate with partners' contribution, and by scaling and maturing newer products and geographies. Altogether, this supports an intermediate-term model where we believe we can compound organic revenue growth in the 20-25% area 
while meaningfully increasing free cash flow margins to 13 to 18% of our revenue by 20 to 25. I'd like to expand our gross margin evolution by unpacking the components of cost of revenue. We expect professional services mix to remain around 9 to 10% of total revenue. Unlike our peers, Avalara today has around 1,900 employees in cost of revenue. Much of this is a function of the 500 members of our compliance team, the 165 in support, and the 165 members of our content team. The compliance team is responsible for filing compliance documents such as sales tax returns in the U.S. and VAT compliance documents in the EU. In the U.S., filing sales tax returns is a highly automated process. In 2021, we filed nearly 3 million sales tax returns with about 110 people. But other areas are less automated at about one-third the productivity, which means that much of the remaining compliance headcount processes, a fraction of these returns, for our other U.S. tax types and our international business. We have multiple returns platforms, and the key is to integrate them into one and drive the level of automation we have with our U.S. sales tax returns. We acknowledge that we have been discussing this for the last couple of years, and we have been making progress towards this goal, though at a slower pace than we previously desired, as we have prioritized other initiatives above it. Going forward, we are focused on achieving these automation efficiencies. Our content research team is tasked with researching tax law so that we can codify it in the software. We are now orienting the team to focus on research in net new areas, especially in international, and leveraging machine learning technologies originally purchased from our index acquisition to harvest and maintain our existing content. This will allow us to maintain the size of this team over the next few years. Support and GoLive are benefiting from investments we have made over the last few years in right-sizing the teams and investments in people, process, and technology. For example, by launching Avalara for Small Business, a product designed to be no-touch for smaller customers, we can help alleviate many smaller customers that have been consuming go-live capacity. We expect this will allow these teams to realize scale benefits and to be able to grow headcount and OPEX lower than our revenue growth rate. We also have approximately 220 heads in cost of revenue from recent acquisitions. These businesses tend to have lower automation and scale. As we more tightly integrate these businesses and increase their automation, we expect we can also gain leverage in this area over the coming years. And finally, we have been working on platform modernization changes that should help us modestly lower our hosting costs as a percent of revenue over the coming years. Many investors ask if in the long run we are structurally different than our other SaaS peers. I highlight that our compliance and content functions, which are in cost of revenue, and our partner commissions, which are in sales and marketing expense, are areas of expense that our peers typically do not have. In the long run, we do not believe we will be meaningfully different from our peers, and therefore believe that at mid-teens growth rates, we should be at 80% plus gross margins and 20 to 25% plus operating margins. In the long run, when growth slows to single digits, we see operating margins getting above 30%. We believe that over the longer term, as we achieve higher levels of compliance and content automation, that we should be able to meaningfully increase productivity per employee on these teams, resulting in lower cost margins around a couple points of revenue. We still believe gross margins will be above 80% in the long term. Similarly, we believe our partner commissions will be greatly diluted down over the long term for two reasons. The first is we typically pay partner commissions as a percentage or a calculation subscription. As we sell more products beyond calculation 
and this becomes a larger piece of our revenue, we will see a reduction in the partner commission fees as a percent of revenue. Second, our partners are a competitive moat, and we believe paying this commission is the cost of the benefits this moat has afforded and will continue to afford us, which is long-term sustainable growth and protection against competition. For these reasons, we have not sought to reduce existing commissions. However, in the longer term, as growth slows, we expect to more actively manage the cost benefits of these relationships. For these reasons, we believe long-term that partner commissions should reduce to a small percentage of revenue. Finally, Avalara is committed to sustainability. In April, we published our first environmental, social, and governance report, along with our findings from our 2021 materiality assessment, which will serve as the foundation of our ESG journey. Our focus is on ensuring our product is secure, safe, and continues to create value and sustainable impact, that we do right by our people, and that we make strides to improve our impact on the planet. We continue to make investments in internal programs that drive value-enhancing sustainability in these three areas. Thank you all for your time today and your interest in Avalara's compliance opportunity and our path to Rule 40. I will now hand it over to Jennifer, who will moderate the Q&A. Thank you, Ross. Hello, everybody. My name is Jennifer Gianola, the Vice President of Investor Relations, and I'm going to help moderate the Q&A portion today. We have three leaders from the Avalara executive team who are going to take your questions. Those three leaders are Scott, Ross, and Amit. The way that this is going to work is we are going to take questions from the analysts live via Zoom. And just as a reminder to the analysts, please have your video turned on and please unmute your line when you ask a question. And then for those of you watching the webcast, if you have a question, we ask that you submit your questions via the Q&A chat function in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. And toward the end of the Q&A portion, I will be reading out some of those questions. And so with that, let's get started. We have our first question from Andrew De Gaspari from Berenberg. Andrew, please go ahead. Thanks, uh, Jennifer, for taking my question. I guess first on the invoicing market, can you elaborate a little bit in terms of the timeline to, to crystallize in that $20 billion opportunity and where are we in terms of different regions uh, of, that, of that opportunity? I'll start, and then you guys can jump in and, and uh, uh, talk a little bit about it. But we're in, we're in, early, we're in early stages of, of e-invoicing. I mean, it's, it is being adopted, but the way it typically adopts is a country will go, you know, uh, uh, to the government first, then it will go to enterprise customers, and then it will go to the broader you know, con consumer base. And so those, that takes years and years and years to develop. I mean, uh, I would say that the two regions that are furthest along in, in growing would be that of the EU, um, EMEA in particular, and then, uh, and then Latin, and, and Latin America. I'll, I'll point out to everybody that really the first co country that came up with uh, e-invoicing was Nota Fiscal it was take, that takes place in Brazil. Um, and they've had that for quite, quite some time. It's very, it's very developed, and it's, it's sort of grown. Um, the standards will start to come together over time, I think. Um, but we're in early, early innings of, 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 this, uh, of this area. And, and, I, and I want to point out, because I just want to lay the groundwork for everything that we're doing here today. Um, when we talk about e-invoicing, we're talking about the rails 
that information gets to the government uh, about the uh, about the invoices, about what's about what's taking place. That does not necessarily include the calculation. I mean, the calculation is separate. Now, Avalara believes fundamentally that those two should be put together. Um, so there are people that do e-invoicing that don't do anything, you know, around, you know, the reporting of, 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 of VAT and the like. We believe that the right model, just like we did with, you know, cross-border, where we think it should be done at the checkout as opposed to a third party, we believe combining all these together makes the most sense for the customer, makes most sense for the business, makes most sense for the government. So I just wanted to lay that out um, to, to, to set the thing. Ross, you may want to jump in, or Amit, jump in. Well, on. you know, one question we get a lot from, from investors is, what is the timeline 10 years for this to kick in, or are we talking now in a year? So I do want to give you some boundary there. Uh, as you could see on the slide that we showed, there are a lot of e-invoicing mandates that have already been selected by countries and are actively being selective now and over time. And we tried to dimensionalize that. It's, it's sort of the way in which the country is going to do it before the transaction, after the transaction, how the standard for which you're going to integrate to them, whether that be the PEPL standard or something else more customized, and then when they're going to enact standards for B2G versus B2B, B2C. Every country playing out different. But what you can see is many have already adopted certain things, especially B2G. And as we look forward over the next two, three years, we see a lot more adopting more standards. And so right now, uh, companies in country are using tools to solve this because where they have to do it. But the challenge is be creating is every country rolls this out differently on different timelines and standards. I always say, imagine being a multinational, right? So let's just say you're in the EU and you're selling into five uh, uh, European countries and the U.S. Now you have to deal with VAT. You have to deal with e-invoicing different standards and rules and obligations in different countries. And then if you're selling in the U.S., you have to deal with sales tax as well, which is totally different. And you have to do with cross-border custom duties and tariffs. If that's not the ultimate, you know, uh, change the status quo, I don't know what is. And so our point is this is early innings, like Scott said. Um, but it is happening now, unfolding now, and is an opportunity that we need to be on top of now. And I'll just I'll just finish up with what real quickly that right now the pressure is on the uh, uh, the multinationals, and that's where we're going to see you know the, the the bulk of the business grow and and evolve, and that's what we're focused on you know mo moving forward. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Our next question comes from Daniel Jester of BMO Capital. Dan, please go ahead. Great. Uh, can we just stick on the uh, on the international uh, framework? Um, if 50 different countries are potentially going to have 50 different standards, I, I know it might not be the case, but it seems like there's going to be a lot of different standards. How do you efficiently scale that over many countries and geographies if you're going to have to potentially help your customers in you know potentially different ways? You know, what, what, I, what I would say is, is that it, it, the model is, is, I mean, similar to what we've already experienced in the, in the United States, right? I mean, 50 different states, you know, 50, you know, 50 different I mean, you know, sets of rules and, you know, thousands of permutations, you know, uh, along the way. But, you know, I've always said that, you know, what, what, what's so great about compliance, it really falls into this world where the most important thing that you're dealing with is content. 
That's, you know, at the content. You've got to get the content right. The rules, rates, forms, all of those things. And then it goes through three engines, right? You know, it goes through a transactional, uh, transactional uh, engine. It goes through a document management engine and a reporting engine. And then on top of it, you build, uh, you know, applications or solutions for the customers. And, you know, compliance is compliance, and it really moves through that, 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 that program. And if you know the rules, you can, it's just a statutory requirement, and you have the engines already built, it's, it's, it's scalable. And as we do that in the United States, it's worked out, you know, really, really well. We understand exactly how that works. VAT is not too dissimilar. I mean, although VAT mean, it, mean, it spans, you know, hundreds of co uh, countries, it's generally the same. So what you're really talking about are what are the specific rules. Now there's different places like Brazil and, you know, some bespoke areas. And, and, and I don't even know this, to be, to be honest with you, how difficult it is to go into China or into Japan, uh, let's say. And those will be more bespoke. But for the most part, the VAT, re the VAT regimes, you know, can be sort of standardized around those three engines, so you're only dealing with the changes in the rules. So it's actually scalable, just like our engine in the United States is. Great. And then if I could ask a follow-up, on the cross-sell, appreciate the additional context you gave there. I just, you know, you talked about in the business, people come to you with trigger events, and then you solve it. Now you're going to be pushing more of the products their way. Can you just kind of expand about, like, you know, how much that trigger event still matters for some of these strategic products, or are you actually going to be able um, to push directly to, to customers even without a trigger? Thank you. Well, I'm going to answer something under a high level. I'm going to turn it over to Amit because I think he can talk about the specific things that are happening in the cross-sell cross regime. But the, the, the trigger events matter it, in all of the different products, right? I mean, the, the, uh, the, the businesses are faced with complexities. And whether it be exemptions, whether it be, you know, use tax, uh, returns, sales tax, VAT, cross-border, I mean, we've tried to create a platform where people are, everybody is welcome to share their problems with us so we can enter the market the way they want to enter. I mean, so, you know, because we've cast a wide net. And, yes, it's sort of our history is based on calculation. The, the best days are, I think, here to come when our, when, our, when our salespeople, our marketing, everything is just looking for the people that have complexity around compliance. And they come to us because they know that that's where it is. Now, that's, now that's the, the, how I see this unfolding. It's, it's really worked well for us in, 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 in uh, uh you know, calculations, it's expanded the returns, but I, could, I see it expanding even more. But Amit, you can jump into the, you know, the, the, what's happening on the ground. Yeah, th thank you for that question. And, and one of the big things that you called out, and, and Scott just mentioned, look, there are different triggers for different entry point products. And, and, and you know, we stay on top of that and make sure that our marketing and other things, you know, tie to that. But the one thing I will call out with a number of our, number of our compliance solutions is, all businesses need licenses, right? Cross-border, if you are going to be selling internationally, you're going to need cross-border. And, and things that we are doing around that, you know, and I think I covered it in my, in my earlier remarks, was we've now, because we see the transactional data, we know exactly when a customer has started to open up a new state. 
We know exactly when a customer starts seeing transactions from a global perspective. And that just allows, and those for us become internal triggers, right, of, of going to a customer and saying, hey, we now know you're, you're selling internationally, you're getting ready to sell internationally, how can we help you with that on, on cross-border? We know you're expanding, do you need other licenses and other pieces? So this next best product toolkit that sits on top of, you know, the, the first product in and how it, it kind of gets managed offers us these other ways of finding triggers just based on how the business is growing, expanding, or, or you know, moving into other avenues, products, or categories. That's a great, great. discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Our next question is from Brad Sills of B of A. Brad, please go ahead. Oh, great. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, I wanted to circle back on the uh, the cross-sell opportunity as well here. I mean, now, now that you've taken a look at the trends, the, the data, uh, are there any of these products in that in that list or services that you feel, uh, you know, perhaps there's more volume, more opportunity than you did prior to that cut and uh, looking at the, the, the underlying data? Brad, hey, th thanks. Uh, obviously, I mean, Amit and I answered the last one around this one. Obviously, it needs a little bit more detail, so we're going to turn to Ross to help us unpack this thing a little bit more. Just passing it around. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think you're looking for more things that have impressed us more. So I think TTR um, is one where, you know, we had high expectations in acquiring it. It was our largest acquisition. Uh, we moved fast to integrate it, and, you know, it did well versus our plan in the first year and we continue to be optimistic about it. Uh, and it's one where, uh, you know, I was actually, this is a cool story, I was talking to one of our sales leaders, and I said, I'm always going around asking sales, how, you know, how are they feeling about the different products and the cross-sell motion? And this was a new sales leader, and she said, yeah, TTR's my favorite, that, that's the best one. And I said, why? And she said, because it's not like optional. She's like, we're talking to customers now, and we're saying, how are we going to uh, you, you, you have a compliance problem, okay? You need calc how many states you're in, you need returns, you need to map your product catalog to tax codes to get this right. So what she was saying is like, we've created a holistic sales cycle where we're talking about mapping your product catalog to your codes, calculating, doing returns, and doing certs. And they basically created their own bundle without us formalizing the bundle and the pricing around it and went to the customer and said, you know, this is what you need to get tax right and, you know, has high, high levels of attach on the TTR tax research product to do that, and so are able to generate more ASPs around it. And we see the same thing on the CAM side when we just look at, you know, some of the products that are bubbling up that are more complementary. So we think that's a product, when we bought it, it was very much higher level of enterprise. Uh, it was very connected to competitors and larger customers where competitor was doing calc and we were, uh, TTR was in there, uh, uh, alongside of it for, for tax research. And when we brought it, we realized like this can go down to businesses much smaller. You know, I always say 50, $100 million revenue. I don't know what the exact number is, but we find it's got wider appeal in a broader segment of the market up and down. Um, and we find that the salespeople are more, 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 more naturally putting on. And then you see in that chart we did with Next Best Product, we still have a great opportunity for returns. So that comes up as a product where, you know, we can still continue to increase the tax returns. Certs is only 32% of core customers. Uh, we think that could be much higher. You know, we really built that for manufacturing and wholesalers that have a lot of certificate requirement. So that's what we've gotten a lot of. But every customer in every industry, large and small, 
you know, theoretically has a cert requirement. And so we've taken the product, again, we take the TTR product and the, and the, and the Avalara product, we merged them recently and launched a new best of breed product that they're segmenting for large, medium, and small. So again, going at how do we increase that penetration of certs up to somewhere around where the returns are. Yeah, and, I, and I've noticed with certs, yeah. I've noticed with certs that it, the, the attachment rate today is greater on deals than it than it has been in the in the past. So, sure. Yeah, it's so benefiting from all the work that, that Amit's been doing around that's the exa- product. That's exactly motion. right. So, and we, it's funny because we didn't even think about when we were thinking we were thinking about the new things we acquire, new products we brought in, and we're like, oh wait, certs, thirty-two percent. It can be very high, and it's benefiting from 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 the work that we're doing. So those are some of the things that come to mind, Brad. Understood. Understood. No, that's great to hear. Thanks, guys. And then one more, if I may, please, on, on the gross margin. Thanks for all the detail on, on, on what is included in cost of sales. The, the top two, compliance and customs and, and classification, yeah, the, the, the notion that technology automation will drive efficiencies there. What have you done so far? What have you learned uh, in, in, your, uh, in the efforts there to, to generate some scale, and, and, and where do you expect the source of, of leverage uh, going forward? in those two categories. Thanks again. Yeah, yeah, good, right, good question. yeah I, can, I can start there. Um, you know, first thing I'll say, this isn't new to us. And I even called out in my prepare remarks that we've been talking about this for a couple of years. So, uh, uh, you know, and we've, we've prioritized other things, and I think those were good choices. Um, but the point is, a, more than a year ago, we announced that we had rebuilt our returns console, like the core sales tax returns engine that is highly efficient. We said we did 3 million-ish you know, sales tax returns with 110 people. That can continue to, to, to get better, but, but again, that, that's high automation people assist. Other areas are, are more you know, high people and, and technology assist, and we need the right side of that. But we announced that we had rebuilt this returns console, and in doing that with the, with the mindset of pulling in these other businesses, so other tax types in the U.S., to be able to pull in and consolidate into one, we call it one returns, pull it into one, and be able to get that level of efficiency that we have in U.S. sales tax in these other areas. It's something that we've started, something underway. It's not a, you know, can't, this is not like sending someone to the moon, can we do this? This is, yes, we know how to do it. We have it mapped out. We have timelines for deliverables, you know, this year and next year. It just was delayed by our choice, you know, in, in the last couple of years. So we got to go get that done. And then international. Hey, Russ, before you yeah, jump in, yeah, let me, I mean, Red, I just want to take this opportunity to remind everybody. I mean, when, 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 when I started the company and we started doing returns in, in, in 2006, you know, uh, we had one customer and it was fully manual, 100% manual. And, and, you know, a couple years out later, we were doing, you know, 100,000 returns with 100 people. And so today, over that time period, we have built out, you know, with the same hundred people, we're now doing three million returns. And so we know this journey. Um, now it's a, of, of combining it into, you know, our, our one world, our, our one world, you know, sort of uh, mindset, right? And when I say one world, I mean one content engine, one calculation engine, one returns engine, one world. So that's what we're, that's what we are, you know, really, you know, really working, working towards. So I interrupted you. Go no, ahead. No, it was other, good. It was, that was a good interruption. That was worth it. Um, um, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, so then international, we gotta do the same thing. We gotta take international, which is VAT, so it's not about consolidating the sales tax. It's about similar point that Scott just made, you know, in the VAT region for, for VAT compliance. So, so we're, that's underway as well. So, 
That's what takes care of the compliance bucket, uh, we, you know, on the first row that you called out on the slide. The second one, which I didn't comment on, is, is, is um, almost 500 people, is our customs uh, organization. We bought a company in 2019 called Portway, which is based in uh, Noida, India, uh, that we're doing um, classifications for us and other companies of our, uh, uh, for our cross-border business. Again, you have to classify, classify your product catalog with what's called HGS, Harmonized Tariff System Codes. So they're international tax codes. It's really hard to do. It's like, okay, you know, you've got a sweater. What's the thread count of the sweater? I mean, it's crazier stuff than even U.S. calculation, and it's hard to do. And our vision was to automate that and to uh, uh, make it highly automated based on machine learning. Uh, and so we bought the company, which was people that basically what happens is uh, the, the product comes in. It runs through our machine learning engine, which makes a call on what we think the classification is, and then it sends it to the people and the people uh, call, call the ball a strike. You know, they say, okay, definitively, this is the answer. And then that feeds back into our machine learning out and, and, and learns. And so the vision there is to move this to uh, uh, something that's highly automated. Right now we're around, you know, 20% automation and to continue to bring that up to, to, you know, majority automated. Similar point for compliance, but this is taking, you know, machine learning to do automated classification and therefore, you know, that, that allows us to not have to grow, you know, that population. Great. Super that helpful. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thank you, Brad. Our next question comes from DJ Hines of Canaccord Genuity. DJ, please go. Hey, hey guys. Uh, nice to see everyone. Thanks for, for doing this. Um, so you, you talked about some of the headwinds impacting the international business this year. I, I have two questions there. So the first is just the pricing renegotiation with your large marketplace partner there. What hasn't gone right on the volume side? I'd love to just get some more color. Like, what, where is that volume going? And, and then second, just, Ross, for you, like, what do you think international growth will, will be this year? Yeah. So, um, first of all, just given where we are in the quarter, I'm not going to be able to comment on Q2 or 2022. So what I can say is on that part, let me just – Give you the high level on the partner. You know it, but others in the audience may not have all the details. So I just want everyone on the same same playing field. We have a large partner. We call our large marketplace partner uh, in the EU, and they have you know basically a marketplace uh, for transactions that happen in the EU. And there's sellers on that that are domiciled in the EU or outside the EU that are selling into the EU. Okay, and so they're the front end and the marketplace, and they chose us several years ago to be the back end that does the registrations and filing. Okay, for VAT for 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 the for the merchants, and so that business has done well for us over the last few years. Uh, they came to us last year, mid last year, and they said, "Hey, you know, we want to work on the contract. We want to make some modifications. Volumes are getting higher. It was always a volume discount type pricing model. Volumes are getting higher, and so they had already sort of achieved a higher band, but they wanted to talk about bringing down pricing, moving from annual billings to monthly billings." Uh, and a few other related things that would ultimately lower the barriers to adoption of these merchants. And so we had negotiations around pricing, and uh, we had a forecast from them on what we could expect. So the, the, the short of it is, you know, hey, here's lower, give us lower pricing, and you can expect higher volumes, and, and that's what we anticipated. We, we did that contract in October 2021. That new contract came into place. 
since then, the volumes have not materialized. Now, a lot of things have happened, you know, since October 2021, macro wars, all that stuff. Volumes have not materialized, and we do not expect them to materialize. And so that's, that's the latest on, on, on that situation. Uh, you know, that's, that's fluid, and we're, we're, we're actively talking to, to that partner. Um, but, but it's not like you feel like the volumes are going somewhere else. It's just that they're not materializing due to macro factors. Is that, is that the right way to think about it? Well, I mean, to be honest, they control the front end of the situation and the flow. And so, you know, we don't have crystal clear view on what's going on there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, the follow-up question, I'd love to get some more color on the, the Fortune 500 competitive displacement. Like, what, what was the wedge that, that got you in the door there to displace the incumbent? And how do you think about leveraging that, you know, referenceability in, in terms of other enterprise opportunities? I mean, let me just start at the at the really high at the high level here, then then get it out to Ahmed uh, to talk a little bit more about the specifics. But when we talk about enterprise, you know, we talk about you know the Fortune 20,000, right? I mean, that's I mean that's really the 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 heart of of of, of that of that area. And we do, and and you hear it all the time in my you know my uh, uh, earnings uh, discussion which is how we're, you know, displacing lots of customers in that range. And, and so, I mean, we just have that, we just have that uh, you know, that, that momentum in that, in that space. What I think is unique about this particular uh, customer, it really is one that's ripping out com uh, calculation and, you know, moving forward, and it's a Fortune 500 company, right? We, you know, to be honest, we don't see a lot of those, you know, we're focused more on the, that, that, that number below the, you know, the 500, um, where we get a lot of business in that enter, enterprise space. But this one was really, was, was a, a big, you know, a big customer. Um, and so, you know, we call, we called that out separately and we're really proud of that fact. And I think it's a harbinger of things to come. So you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. And, and one of the things I would just add is, you know, this customer aside, what's happening in this space, you know, Scott always talks about, in the enterprise, in the, you know, in the top end of the market, our strategy had been to surround, you know, with all the different products and then eventually, you know, the bell would ring around, around calculation. And if you saw, you know, the slide that said, look at the products that, that were, went along with it. That's really, you know, the conversation, you know, very rarely is about just calculation. It's about, yep, we've got a calculation problem, but we've also got all these things that are immediate needs and future needs. And where can I go to actually get all of compliance, you know, uh, the, the entire conversation around compliance going? And that, you know, is, is really what is driving a number of these conversations in the bigger customers. You know, as they, as they, you know, adopt and look at cloud, you know, it becomes a trigger event. And then they start assessing, you know, who can do the full solution today and in the future and, and what comes along with it. You know, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and I just I mean, want to clarify what I was what I was really trying to say is Avalara is in enterprise customers all over the place. Um, but when we talk, we always go back to our roots, which is calculation. But, you know, we do nine of the ten super fuel comp companies. I mean, we do, you know, some of the biggest retailers, you know, in, in the world, you know, their fuel tax. You know, we do exemptions from some of the biggest com I mean, companies. I mean, top, I mean, these are top 100 companies. So we, I mean, we've always had a strategy of let's surround enterprise 
with the tax type that they want to talk about at that particular time. And when the opportunity comes, we'll end up getting their calculation and other things as well. So I, I, I didn't want to dispel the myth that Avalara isn't an enterprise company because we have lots and lots and lots of Fortune you know, 1000 companies that are doing different things with us. But this one was unique because they came to us specifically around you know, calc and certs and, 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 the, and the like, because they were having a problem. Yeah, makes sense. Thanks for the caller, guys. Yep, thank you. Great discussion. Thank you, DJ. Our next question is from Peter Levine of Evercore. Peter, please go ahead. Great, thank you for taking my questions. Maybe circling back to the strategic products, um, I know you kind of talked about it earlier with the trigger events, but maybe what are you replacing, you know, these, uh, what, what products are customers using today? Meaning as you go into these customers, like what's the ROI, you know, what's, you know, what, what's the advantage to kind of get these customers to kind of upsell and adopt some of these newer products? I'm going to let you, let you jump in on that one. So to, to the question and thanks for the question. Look, a lot of our customers today are, are effectively doing these or buying these sorts of products somewhere else or doing it in-house, right? Tax research, you know, like TTR as, as a product, a lot, of, you know, a lot of our customers are saying, hey, I know we've got a tax department that actually looks at all this research and invalidates all these codes. We come in and say, look, we've got an automated solution and we can help you do it a lot faster. Just, you know, the standard storyline around what we've done with compliance, right? We can, we can do it faster, more accurately, quicker, uh, and, and help you manage that. And as we start having these dialogues, even business licenses, right? Businesses are buying licenses and managing them, you know, internally or, or through some other, you know, smaller vendor or other partner. And we come in and our storyline is one partner, one place to manage, we can do end-to-end -end compliance. And that is really the piece that, that starts, you know, driving some of these conversations. And especially, as I mentioned, you know, because of our transactional data, very often we know where a customer is going, what they're doing, and, and what their aspirations are in terms of expansion. And we, th that opens the door for these, you know, for these attaches in, in, in future kind of, you know, uh, add-ons. So I'll, I'll add that, Ross, you know, from, a, from an ROI perspective, you know, if you've got any financial wizardry, but... As a Passover going through, going down here, I mean, I just want to remind everybody. I mean, these are my, this is a great opportunity to remind everybody of the sort of the concept of Avalara. I mean, I call it the four horsemen of tax. I mean, I say this and, and Amit and Ross start to laugh because I've said it, you know, a thousand times if I've said it once. I mean, every business has to do certs, uh, you know, use tax, sales tax, or returns. They have to do one or all of those. Avalara's, you know, history has been in let's come to the market with, with calculation. One of the things that we have to mature and our sales team has to mature at, you know, and get better at, and marketing as well throughout the organization, is we don't want to lead with calc specifically. We want them to come to us in the trigger event that, that gets them there. Because they're all doing those four things in one way, shape, or form. And I would say the fifth uh, horseman of this is VAT and doing global transaction. Because in our world today, you know, every business, you know, aspires to be able to broaden their TAM, move out, um, especially in e-commerce. And so now you add that. Those are the five things, you know, or six things if you include cross-border in that, that really people have to, you know, that have to do. And we want to meet them at the place 
where they have their most where where they have their most pain right off the bat. Ross, do you have anything to add? I, I to was it? hoping you wouldn't leave out the fifth horseman on that one. I know. <laughs> um, Peter, you know, when I think of the question, I think about first like the new land, and you know, historically, it's all it's always been about complexity, right? And you see customers come in. Uh, you know, they, they, they were, maybe they were in stores 10 years ago. Now they're on e-commerce, multiple marketplaces. We always talk about this omni-channel point. And it's just, when you want to think about ROI and bucking the status quo, you know, you just got to look at complexity. You're in multiple states. You're on multiple channels. God forbid you're going cross-border and have to do with duties and tariffs and VATs in addition to sales tax. It's just, you're never going to be able to do that manually. The ROI is, just goes up exponentially as you get into more states and, and more products and all and more channels. So that's been a great driver for our business over the last few years, and that's going to be a great driver, we believe, for, for, for a generation to come. Just because you think about a business today, it's, it's multi-channel. It's, again, e-com, stores, uh, um, uh, marketplaces. We love that. The other thing we're doing is um, getting better product market fit, right? So when you think about downmarking, you might say, okay, less complex. We talked about 15% of our sales and use tax return customers are single state. A lot of people say, well, Ross, your TAM and your SAM, your SAM's not as big as your TAM because you got a lot of people that are less complex that they can't, they can't do it or they're not going to do it. They're just going to go manual. But 15% of our, our customers uh, are, are in single states. And we remind people that California has hundreds of over 300 jurisdictions. Texas has over a thousand jurisdictions. And, and, and so, as we, as we, you have that complexity combined with the product market fit, how do we go down market and do simple returns, simple calculations, simple certs that are designed for that low end of the market at the right price point? You know, we're seeing now the ability to have ROI generated even down at the end of the market as we're getting better by the product market fit. Also, think about returns for accountants. You know, how you can capture these any way, right? So if, 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 if the tens of thousands of accounting firms are doing 40% of the sales and use tax returns in the, in the U.S., or the sales tax returns, and you can power them with our returns platform, now you can get a piece of all that action. Our point-of-sale business, you know, we can get a piece of all the point-of-sale. You think about a single restaurant. Well, you know, we bought Davo. We built our own point-of-sale solution. We've got partners that are the modern point-of-sale partners. we got, we got the main line, the old line point-of-sale partners. Now you can attach to every store, you know, at, you know, 80, 100 bucks, whatever it is per store. You can get the local barber shop that's got the point of sale with the store. So better product market fit, down market, creating better ROI for less complex scenarios. And then you've got this generational shift in complexity by the backdrop of marketplaces, e-com, stores, international. I always say you can start an orange shirt company overnight on Shopify and you can be selling globally and have to deal with all that craziness. Hard to do. You're going to have to use us. So I hope that helps. I forget the question, but that was a great, that was a good, that was a good, that was a good silly That was fantastic. No, um, yeah, no, that, that, that definitely answered it. Um, maybe if I can stick one on the macro side is, you know, as you do think about the macro backdrop, you know, to the extent we enter into a recession, and again, I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys to think about, but can you give us an idea of how your customers, the ones that continue down their digital transformational journey, you know, eventually that, that, Pace will slow, but how do you think these customers are having to make decisions about maybe taking budgets, you know, away from other areas and giving it to you? Um, is there a kind of a thought behind that? I mean, there, there's a lot. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in that 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 question there. Um, but, I mean, the the one thing that we know about, you know, I mean, a, I mean, Avalara is, is it's just this resilient company 
that works in good times and in bad times. And I've been through enough, you know, 2007, 8, you know, we've been through COVID. We know that. And the ROI story is always there available. Now, you know, Wayfair happens and we get a little bit sidetracked and you're just talking to, to, to those companies. But you know that um, you, you, you just know that that, that market is, is, is there and going to continue to is going to continue to grow. Um, and and the, uh, that ROI message, you know, the change of the digital you know, transformation that people are going to make. Right. I mean, we know how this ends. I mean, I've said this so many times. It seems trite, but it really is true. We know how this story ends, right? I mean, in a digital world, it's insane to do sales tax manually. It's just crazy. And so, you know, over time, you know that we are going to move all businesses to an automated fashion. It's not something that Avalara is going to do. The governments are going to do it. They do not want to collect sales tax manually. They want it to be collected digitally. So we are on this, 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 this transformation path you know, of accelerating the inevitable. I mean, that's really all that we're, you know, that we're really, that we're really trying, that we're really trying to do. And, and, and I think that that's going to, you know, to continue to, to, to develop. And you'll notice in all of my earnings calls, you'll hear this all the time. Um, I always pick out one of the customers and say, Hey, you know, they've been doing, you know, they've been in business, uh, you know, a hundred years. And last month they decided to solve sales tax. Um, I mean, why was it the last month? There was some trigger event, some event, you know, that, 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 that got them to do it. And, and in these difficult times, um, ROI becomes one of those trigger events. I don't need to do this with people. I can do this manually and I can get a, 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 an ROI in the 90% uh, range in the first year. So it's not even moving you know, funds away from one area to another, it can be done in that same calendar year. That's our pitch. That's what we have to get better about. That's what we have to, you know, continue to, to, to talk about. Thank you, guys. Thank Great. You. That was very insightful. Um, our next question comes from Gabriella Borges from Goldman Sachs. Gabriella, please uh, go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking the questions. Maybe one for Amit to start. Your cross-sell algorithm, would love to hear any observations as you've looked at what works versus what doesn't work from a cross-sell standpoint. I imagine there's a correlation between the complexity and dynamics that you've already been talking about. Be curious if there are any other nuances that you'd call out on the types of customers that are more willing versus less willing to engage in the cross-sell journey. So one thing, thank you, thank you for the question. So one thing, you know, we'll I'll add is, you know, our real robust cross-sell journey has just started, right? So the, we're on this journey. We've got a plan. We're, we're executing towards it. The, the next best product model that we have deployed really looks for what those triggers are based on where the customer is going tied to, to where those transactions are. So, you know, to your, to your question on, you know, is there a certain profile of customer that's – Actually, the answer is we're seeing this across the stack, right? If you are a small business or a large, your level of complexity that you have to deal with, if you start selling internationally, for example, it's, you know, whether I'm shipping, you know, one box of shoes or 500, I still have to deal with rates, rules, you know, uh, all the stuff that happens around uh, international selling. And so we're finding that customers across, across the base are, are reacting pretty, pretty well to this. 
One of the things that I think you, this, one of the parts of your question, you know, if I got it right, was what are some of the things we have to change um, to, to really capitalize on, on these shifts? And, and for us, it's really the evolution of moving from a, you know, predominantly a three-product company to an eight-product company. And the transformation that, that needs to happen with our, you know, CAMs or, or our customer account managers. To, look, we've got this formula where, you know, Scott and Ross mentioned that our, you know, upsell rate on returns is 60%. Our, our cross-sell rate on certs is, you know, 30-plus percent. We know how to do this. Now it's about how do you take this and apply that motion to, to more products, and how do you actually, you know, turn our CAMs from, from being a ubiquitous account manager into hunters and farmers and, and, and going along with that journey of what all this new data and products and capabilities gives us. That's helpful. Thank you. And a follow-up for Ross, if I may. I understand no comments on the near term, no comments on 2022. So I'll frame this as a 12-month-plus question, which is, in the past, you've given details and statistics on the e-commerce part of the business versus non-e-commerce. And so as you think about your long-term growth targets, the 20 to 25%, how do you think about the relative rates of e-commerce versus non-e-commerce and any color you can provide on visibility and pipeline over the next 12 months? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. So, and, and thanks for framing it. And I'll, you know, I'll think about it in that intermediate-term model time frame over three years. Um, if you look back, you know, before, before I had Scott can talk about history, and you can see in our pie chart of, of segmentation by industry, you know, we got a lot of manufacturing, wholesale, distributors, software. More than 50% of the business were, were those types of things. 18% was retail. More than 50% was, you know, again, manufacturing, wholesale, distributor, uh, software technology, those, those kinds of companies, more, more B2B-oriented companies. And so I think what you would assume is, the origination of the company was in those more B2B oriented industries and, and segmentation. And the last, I don't know how many years, it's more than probably you all think, because everyone thinks last two-ish years around COVID. But the last, I don't know, we signed Shopify in 2015. Yeah. You know, so it's been, it's, but it's been accelerating the last few years. You know, e-commerce has come to life. And, and people always say, hey, can you, can you separate out the e-commerce versus everything else? It's hard to do because this omni-channel thing really is a real thing for, for all of us, which is you've got people in stores that are going to e-com. You've got people selling e-commerce in marketplaces. You've got manufacturers now that are selling over the phone using NetSuite or, and Zora, but then they're going direct to consumer, you know, uh, using, uh, you know, throwing up an e-commerce engine on Shopify and going direct to consumer. So it's really hard to just pinpoint pure e-commerce from not. But what we've seen is the last few years, certainly e-commerce trend and those that have an e-commerce connector, whether they're a B2B company that have started e-commerce or they're a pure 100% e-commerce company, has grown faster than the other things, right? And that's how we've gotten to about one-third of revenue. That's certainly grown faster than the other things in the past. I would say as we think about the next three, five, seven years, however you want to look at it, that probably continues to grow faster because, again, that is a complexity shift where Companies, you know, any company born today or any company wanting to survive today has to figure out not only their physical, if they have a physical presence, but their e-commerce presence. And e-commerce is multifaceted because it's not only the Shopify's and, and, and sort of your direct e-commerce business, but people are selling on marketplaces now. People are selling direct to consumer. So I think that that is a trend that will sustain for many years that drives up complexity causes you to sell in many jurisdictions, maybe even globally, pretty easily you can sell globally, 
causes you to have to deal with multiple channels and systems, and it just makes that status quo, you know, to me it's the ultimate displacement of the status quo trend. Now, you, I know you want to know about this year. I can't answer for this year, but you know that that is going to be a generational driver for this business. Yeah, and, and, I, and I just want to follow up on it because I think what Ross, the point Ross made, is 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 really important. I mean, in an omni-channel world, this is about data aggregation. I mean, to do a return. I mean, because when it's all said and done. I mean, you know, we all think about, oh, calculation for, you know, for uh, uh, e-commerce or whatever. But in the, in, in the real world, it's about where are all my transactions happening, how do I get them aggregated, and then how do I do a return? And very few people are just solely doing e-commerce. I mean, you know, it's, they've got, it's, it's, it's an omni-channel program. And so breaking out all those components is, is a little bit more difficult than that, but it creates the opportunity for which Avalara really benefits from, which is the aggregation of data and doing, and doing returns, which has now grown to almost 40% of our, of, of our, of our, of our, of our, of our business. So we want to make sure that we're capturing everybody's, um, transactions. And so the first thing that we do, and what Amit's team does is when we win an e-commerce deal, it's like, okay, how do we get their ERP? How do we get their POS? How do we do those? And so those, that, all that e-commerce creates, you know, the backdrop for us to do add-on sales to ultimately get to returns. Thanks for the caller. Do you have a follow-up, Gabriella, before I move on? Okay. I'm all set. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Our next question is from Siddi Panagrahi from Mizuho City. Please, please go ahead. All right. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Uh, just wanted to ask a follow-up to earlier question on cross-sell opportunity and Amit's comment about the product now you have. So uh, particularly on the net, uh, net retention rate, so recently you have like 115%. But you guys talked about like how the product expands on right now through acquisition and organic. And, and if I look at it, even 2020, NRR was like 117% or even higher. So wondering as you are looking forward, as you are starting on this cross-sell opportunity, uh, how are you looking about the NRR, you know, in near term to midterm? What, what's kind of bet into your agenda? Yeah, I, I mean, thanks, Siddi. Uh, good question. Uh, our focus is on sustaining NRR, you know, in the levels that it's been. It's been about 115%. Uh, so plus or minus that area is our focus on sustaining. And the way we think about it is um, when you think about the things that make NRR go down, that would be churn, which we've always talked about churn, and we have low churn. Um, once people get up and running on the platform, very, very sticky, not a lot of switching, uh, so very low churn historically. Um, and then there's downsell, other things that cause it to go down and contract, whether you're going down a pricing tier or there's a concession or, you know, some people don't get, get up and running completely. You know, there, there, there's various buckets of that. And so what we think about is the things that drive it down are roughly offset by pricing. And when I say pricing, I'm talking about um, discount recapture. So in the first year, if you get a discount, we try to bring that back up to lists. Some we get right back up to lists. We have very few um, price locks, or pretty much annual subscriptions, few price locks. Bring up the list. Um, if we don't get it fully up to list, you know, there's a migration up to list. And then something newer to us that we've not really done in the past uh, is actual list price increases. And 
those have been modest. A lot of people ask, are you inflation? Are you passing a lot? No, you know, we're, 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 we're doing a few percent. We're just trying to get to the, the, the standard of what most others have done in the market, where every year, you know, you're bringing list prices up in a reasonable way. And so I think, you know, if you, if you start with, you know, $100 coming into the year, the things that make it go down are roughly offset by those pricing mechanisms, and you're back to your, 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 uh, your dollar, um, or $100, I forget where I started, $100. And then you expand and cross-sell. So the, the, the components of upsell are expansion and cross-sell. Expansion would be up-tiering of buckets. Um, it would be you have the company has more nexus in more jurisdictions, so they need to buy more things. Um, those kinds of things, um, expansion, which has been a higher percentage of sales over the past. You know, a lot has come from expansion in the past, certainly more than half. Um, 2021 was a really good expansion year for us, and I think expansion will continue, but it'll be less, it'll be a, a greater percent will come from cross-sell going forward as we drive this cross-sell motion. So again, you go from 100, things down-sell are also by pricing, you're still at 100, and then you've got to get to the 15%, you've got expansions, you've got cross-sell, okay? Expansions has been more than cross-sell in the past. Now we have to drive more cross-sell than expansion as that wave of expansion from, you know, Wayfair and COVID comes down. It'll still be there. We're still going to have expansions, but we need to do more cross-sell, and that should be the dominant percent of bookings when you look at the upsell going forward. And we think that if you just think about what we've talked about here, all the new products, the new capabilities, um, you know, we should be able to drive that cross-sell, and we take all that together, healthy churn, um, uh, pr pricing, strategic pricing that we can do and, and discount recapture and get all these new products going plus expansion, we think that's a recipe that should allow us, you know, in the intermediate-term horizon to sustain that 115% area. That's a good color, Ross. So well, another quick follow-up on international opportunity uh, you guys talked about a lot of you know, uh, you know, challenges and opportunities on the European side. We're wondering if you could get some color on the you know, Latin America and recent entry to India market. Uh, sure, City. So, you know, our, as you know, you know, uh, the majority of our international business is, is, you know, in Europe. And we're, given the size of that market and opportunity, we're so focused now on and, and what's happening with e-invoicing and other pieces. But as Scott, you know, uh, mentioned earlier, E-invoicing is not just a European phenomenon, right? It's happening in LATAM as well. And so as we, you know, two predominant regions, as we think about what we are doing in one region, a lot of it flows into, into what's happening within Brazil and Latin America and how we expand out from there. So that's how I think about it. It's not, you know, they, they both are based on, you know, VAT-like systems, and, and they both have these, you know, these transformations that are happening. So for us, one, you know, one drives the other. Similar kind of motions are happening in India, right, as, as GST is picking up and, and you know, e-invoicing like, uh, you know, products and, and capabilities and infrastructure is being requested. So for us, you know, I think what we will be doing is, is building out and, and looking at Europe, but also looking at where the cross-pollination is and, and how do we feed one off the other is, is how I think about, you know, international expansion in where it's going. Scott, I don't know if you no, have... Uh... I, think that that's right. I think that that's right on the, uh, on the mark. I mean, there's big opportunities to expand Europe, and there's big opportunities to expand uh, in, in LATAM. I think e-invoicing is going to help that considerably in both regions. And India, you know, we've got such a big presence there. I mean, we really have to, you know, continue to, 
to, to, to grow out that GST, that GST market and then using, you know, Avitax to, to sell customers, you know, that are, that are doing business in the United States. So that's how I, that's how I see it, de- uh, that's how I see it developing. And then over time, we'll sprinkle in, you know, uh, expanding to other markets. But, you know, our modus, you know, operandi to, to, to move into other markets is really we have to put a person on the ground or two people on the ground and you have to get to understand the market, you have to get to understand the content. So it's a long term, it's a long term process. Um, in what we're doing, and we'll focus on, you know, the biggest markets with the with the largest uh, with with the biggest problems around around t- you know tax compliance. That's how we'll that's how we see it expanding. And one last thing I'll just add to, to Scott's comments, City, is if you think about e-invoicing, really gives us you know the moat that was effectively you know missing internationally, like we have in the U.S. And so as e-invoicing comes along, you know, we strongly believe that e-invoicing coupled with other forms of, you know, other parts of compliance and, and tax is really the rails and what, what end users and, and partners want. So another big piece for me is what are, we, what are we going to be doing with the partner ecosystem? And a lot, you know, some of these partners are global. And so, you know, again, it, it's kind of like Scott mentioned, Abitax is a, you know, is a universal problem of someone selling, whether you're in LATAM or Europe, into the, into the U.S., same thing with some of these partnerships that, that occur. So there's a lot of these overlap areas that, that you know, I, I'm really excited about because I think once you crack the code on these, you know, it really, it, it really helps you kind of, you know, be a part of a large market. And if you, I'm going to use this as a springboard to just talk about a subject that I think hasn't been addressed here, but it, it really goes to the international market. You know, I, when we dominate, when we dominated the mid-market here um, in the United States using, you know, our partner ecosystem, I think I assumed, and I think probably you all have assumed that that would just translate into a partnership, into a partnering moat internationally, and that that, that would, you know, I mean, really work. That that would really work, and it would be the same motion. What we've learned over the years is, is that. The partnering opportunity internationally is not as strong as it is domestically here in the United States because of the transactional nature of, of tax. Because you need to be connected to do the calculation at the time of the transaction. What e-invoicing does is it actually ch- I mean, changes that to make it transactional and therefore our model, which was, you know, partner based here, can now be exactly what we've done before. And I think, and I said this earlier in my comments, but it's so important that everybody realize that just because you can do e-invoicing doesn't mean you can do calculation. Our view is is that calculation and e-invoicing together should be the solution, and it should be done through the partners that are creating the invoices, and which is exactly what Avalara's you know immense strength is. To do. That's how we see that market unfolding. Thanks for the comment. Thank you, City. Our next question is from Keith Weiss of Morgan Stanley. Keith, please go ahead. Excellent. Thank you guys for taking the question. And um, Ross, thanks for all the additional detail um, uh, in the presentation. That is super helpful. Um, so you're, you took the opportunity to give us an intermediate term target, and, and, and we appreciate that. Uh, but you're doing so at a time when I think investors are kind of at max nervousness, if you will. Um, so two kind of related questions. One, why now in terms of the right time to give kind of that intermediate target? And two, um, 20 to 25% uh, top-line growth or organic top-line growth, 
um, is, is, is pretty robust. And, and you did 24% organic growth in the most recent quarter. So a good real durability of growth through 2025. Can you help us understand what gives you guys confidence in that durability of growth over a multi-year period? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'm glad. I, was, I thought no one was going to ask about the intermediate term model, which would be disappointing. Um, so, I mean, for us, this goes back to probably last summer when the three of us, you know, uh, got together and said, okay, what do the next three, four years look like? And, you know, we said, hey, you know, Scott, since I got here, has always talked about getting to a billion dollars in revenue. And now we're pretty close to billion dollar revenue run rate. We're knocking on that door. And so now we've reset our sites to three billion, right? And what, what are the things that we want to preserve that got us to a billion? And what are the things that need to change to get us to three billion around, you know, durability, scalability, um, efficiency, profitability, all those things? And we said, okay, what are different permutations of the top line? You know, can we grow faster? Can we grow slower? What would that look like? What would need to happen? And we started looking externally at peers as well and saying, how do we benchmark, you know, uh, companies that are like 750 million in revenue to a couple billion? What does that look like? And you quickly realize that, you know, you're going to be an outlier at that scale if you're not, you know, profitable and, and driving, you know, some kind of leverage. Now, all different companies do the leverage differently. Some are pretty flat. Some are like this. Some of them do correlate to growth. Some of them don't correlate to growth. And so we just said, hey, the, we want to build a company that can continue to grow. And at that time, we were saying in the 20 to 30 organic range, and that can drive leverage. And we think that there's things that we've been talking about doing and wanting to do that if we can succeed and we lay them out for you, and pretty much all in our control, regardless of short-term macro, by the way, that we can control, that can drive leverage, and we think we can sustain healthy growth. So. You know, we laid out different permutations and we settled on, you know, that model. And, and so first was, can we gain confidence over multi-horizon in 20, 25% organic? And as we said, this isn't a comment on this year or the macro. Things can change with macro and that, that'll play out. But, you know, in a multi-year horizon, we, we have confidence that because we still see ourselves as around 10% penetrated in the U.S. market. So we're not an expansion store yet. We're still very much a new plus expansion store of the base, right? So we should be able to grow new logos in a normalized environment at similar rates. We should be able to sustain, maybe even improve ASPs while doing that. And then with our base, now 20,000 core customers, almost 35,000 billable accounts, and almost 100,000 total end customers that we touch with at least our calculation product and all these new products between the pricing, strategic pricing, you know, discount recapture, cross-sell and expansions, you know, when you bake all that in, the new and the cross-sell, we're like, gosh, we got, we got to be, we got to be able to do that. That recipe, you know, made us feel, feel confident. And, you know, any given year, everyone's talking about macro and this year and that, and we're not, we're not going to comment specifically. So any given year, things can change, but in a multi-year horizon, you know, we think that we've got the firepower to be able to drive that. And we think that what we talked about around the leverage are pretty much all in our control. Now we got to execute, we got to be disciplined, we got to make tough choices, but that's within our control. And 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 that's that's the model we settled on and we, we presented to our board and, and 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 rallied around and are presenting to you. The timing with the macro, you know, it's just this was a good time to put it out and we're taking a long-term view here, not not a short-term view. But I, but I I'll just say what I really like and I we've done this in, in many presentations and I think we've done it in other analyst day where we do that rolling, that scrolling of the customers that come into us. I mean, and, and you just have to go from the backdrop that we fundamentally believe 
And I think most people would agree that sales tax done, you know, manually is absurd, right, in, the, in a digital world. And so I, what should give everybody confidence is, is that you see that scrolling. And we are set up to do volume business of, you know, you know medium-sized, big-sized deals just constantly going through it. And we can not only get them you know, sell them, but we can bring them live. We, you know, we've proven that we can get, you know, get them up and going. And, and, and uh, as that process just continues, it's going to go on for a considerable length of time till we get that, you know, 10%, you know, the 30%, the 50% penetrated. And, you know, adding on all the add-on sales and continuing to do what Avalara does, I call it future-proofing the business. Um, I think we've set us ourselves up for really that, you know, that, that uh, you know, uh, kind, kind of growth rate, you know, over, over time. Good question. Excellent. Super helpful, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Keith. Um, at this juncture, we have time for two more questions. So um, the next question comes from Scott Berg at Needham. Um, Scott, please go ahead. Sure. Thanks, Jennifer. And uh, thanks for the time uh, today, everyone. Appreciate it. I guess I wanted to dive into uh, two items just a little bit more or develop them a little bit more from your prior answers. And, um, Scott, I love that the uh, e-invoicing has uh, new legs to your government in the middle theme. Uh, definitely like to see that. But I, I, I guess along the e-invoicing components, um, governments are notoriously slow in their application development for their own systems. I guess two questions are, is, are they ready to accept the invoicing? And you kind of talked about the, the, you know, what the timeframes look like. But then relative to your 2025 estimates, how should we think about the impact of that product in those numbers? My guess is it's reasonably slow or reasonably small, but just want to understand how you've handicapped that product uh, in those assumptions. You want to go ahead and, and, and jump, jump on that one? Well, I mean, we, we think about, you know, the – and I'm not going to say what the mix of international is over the three years, but, but we've definitely modeled out, you know, how we see international returning to growth over the next few years and, 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 you know, getting back to increasing it as a percent of revenue and outgrowing the business. And, you know, that's multifaceted. It's, it's fueled by um, a number of initiatives. Ama can talk more about it. But, you know, more get, getting back to some product launches, you know, that will be able to serve more partners, so there's a vast sea of partners out there that have to accommodate, you know, everything from the small to the larger and just implementing the partner strategy we have in the U.S. internationally, um, something that we're focused on. Uh, two, um, having a product that we can better sell to the masses at high velocity is really important. Um, so that's something coming out later this year. And then three, we have the e-invoicing engine that we bought with our Imposi acquisition last year, and we've got last mile to, I think, 19 or 20 countries. And we're looking to expand that and accelerate that. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to take a few years um, to play out, um, but I think that we're already seeing multinationals that have to deal with, they're in multiple countries, and they're having to deal with these standards already. And we're already seeing partners, you know, important partners that we're already playing with that have been playing with for a long time, starting to make decisions around e-invoicing partnerships um, that's going to help accelerate it. So I don't think that, Scott, I don't think this is like the government, you know, sits on it for five years and this is a five, seven-year thing. I, this is a, a revenue driver in the next one to three years, both selling e-invoicing specifically, but also building it into our product. And ultimately, it just comes 
a core differentiating capability within the product set that allows us to win these customers, starting with multinationals and then going more in, in, in intra-country. So I'm not going to quantify it for you, Scott, but but it, it is a important driver in the next few years, and, and it'll it'll start to take hold. Now, super, super helpful. Thanks for the uh, feedback there, Ross. I guess then expanding on the international side is on the go-to-market strategy. Uh, you all have talked about partners, distribution there. I guess as you look back over the last two years, what are the tweaks or changes you're making on the go-to-market side there uh, to sell more effectively? Because my guess is the partner playbook that you use here in the U.S. isn't exactly the same internationally. Good point. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the question. So there are a couple major shifts that are happening. One, you know, in my earlier remarks, uh, you know, I commented that, you know, a big chunk of our, you know, European business, for example, is, is UK dominated and, and one other region. So one of the major go-to-market shifts that we are doing is we've actually picked the next big GDPs and we are going there with our Avatax, pro, you know, Avatax product and program and actively going, you know, on the ground and, and marketing and, and bringing in more customers. Uh, into into that portfolio, and so you know Germany, Italy, France, Spain. You can you know you you know the the list of, of GDPs is where we are actively going out and starting to establish a, a, a presence. The other big piece is you know e-invoicing, and and what what Scott and, and Ross were mentioning was we've already got a whole bunch and swath of of partners that are asking about it and talking about it, and we're starting to engage and drive and, and build upon the momentum that is, that is coming in e-invoicing, being led in Europe and other areas. But that is, that is a major kind of play on, on where we are. But we also continue to win other, you know, other partners, right? We spoke about you know, winning a, a really large, one of the you know, largest marketplaces uh, in Europe who are now looking to us to say, we need help with compliance. And that momentum and shift has, has already started, and so we're going to continue expanding on, on the, the globalization that we're seeing and, and these other marketplaces and partners coming to us uh, to go drive that. And I would say a lot of it's around, you know, some making some uh, product changes. I think, you know, when people think about the international market, it really is about multinationals. I mean, that's where we are today. That's where all the competitors are. That's that's the, you know that is that that is that that that, uh, that that market and it's predominantly doing compliance. I mean we bought a company to enter that market and we've been upgrading that product and I and I think that you know it, it isn't exactly where we want it where we wanted it to be. I think it's moving to to really be a you know the dominant player in the in the in the space. So that's a tweak we're making, improving our SaaS product. You know, uh, I mean, from a from a VAT perspective, but I think the area that I, I would really like to call out is is that taking that same kind of you know uh, mentality and moving it downstream, and that's what Ross uh, referred to as we'll probably have that product out um, at the at the end of this year, you know, uh, maybe a little bit sooner than that, where we can really start to go after the more simplistic easier, you know, uh, you know, mar I mean, international market. So I think from a product perspective, there are some tweaks that we can make to what we've been doing that are going to lend itself to, you know, a, a better product and a better outcome and, and, and better partner relationships even as, as we move forward internationally. Very helpful. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, Scott.
We have time for one final question, and that question is from Hannah Rudolph from Piper Sandler. Hannah, please go ahead. Great. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question today. Really great content, super helpful. Um, just one quick one from me. Yes, as you increasingly lean into this cross-sell motion, how have you seen the number of products adopted up front change, and where do you expect that to land over time, especially with those strategic products you're now focusing on more? Okay, I'll, I'll take it. Thanks for the thank you for the question. Um, so we are seeing, you know, a, a lift in in average products being sold, not only, you know, at, at, at point of sale when a customer first comes in, but we're also seeing that lift in, in the base. Now, I'm not going to quantify the exact number in, in the target, but, but that motion has already started. And where, you know, where we've seen, um, and what's really exciting to me about this, this whole shift is it's, I know Ross spoke a lot about the base, and, and, and the opportunity there is huge, and I'm super excited. But it's also, you know, happening at a really rapid rate when a customer comes in because the motion has shifted to solution selling. It's no longer, hey, Avalara is, is just your, your sales tax compliance company. We are moving into, you know, the, the six clouds. We are moving into being a compliance company. And so we're seeing take rates starting there. And then as they move into becoming a base, you know, customers kind of adding on and, and building on into that. Any, Ross, anything you... Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, there, Hannah, the long term of it, you know, is playing out, right, how the mix is going gonna, is gonna to be. And, you know, we, we talked about the NRR and the sustainability, which implies that, you know, we're still selling a couple products up front for the most part and expanding more later. And I think that that's how we see it over the next few years. And we're, we're very focused on and doing testing around just like new land velocity, right, because we don't want to sell... Even though you could sell everything up front and get a higher ticket, is it going to take nine months to sell it? You know, is it, and, and is it going to get, is it hard to sell? Is it frustrating to sell? Is it a good customer experience? So we're still tooling with, you know, fast new land. It was up, purely up to me. It would be like fast new land with the best product to solve that pain point. I think you referred to it as, you know, solving that tax type, that pain point right there, you know, and then getting really good at next best opportunity you know, in the base with really good hunters that can say, okay, in the, at the front end, we sold calc and returns, and we know that they need these other things over time, and we're really good at creating the next best opportunity and cross-selling over time. We just don't want to slow down the velocity of new lands, you know, to get all the, all the ASP. That said, Ahmed is exactly right. You know, we have seen in the new logo lands, we continue to see ASP inch up as, Pricing, higher willingness to pay due to complexity, a little bit more product up front, and we continue to see good expansion, you know, from expansions as well as across some more products. So the mix will will play through the mix, but but that's that, that that's my view. Yeah, I'm really impressed with uh, what these guys have done um, because when you stop and think about it, I mean we you know we're set up as a you know hunting and farming you know you know team right where the the hunters go out and they sell and they and the ASP is going up and they're selling more products they're attaching more products up front but we've been able to maintain the same you know NRR at the ba at the back end you know uh, continuing to sell that even though we're selling more up front so if we can continue to sort of tweak that model so we can get, you know, good uh, upfront attachment and then, gr you know, grow NRR, man, that's the best scenario that you can possibly, you can possibly have because, it, you, you know, you're not, you know, taking away from the back end, you know, the back end sales. It's awesome. Yeah. Really good job. Thanks, Hannah. Great. Thank you. 
Thank you, Hannah, and thank you, everybody, for all of your questions. This now concludes the Q&A portion of the Analyst Day, and I'd like to turn it back over to Scott for some closing comments. Scott? Yeah, well, thank you, everybody, for, for participating. This is a, you know, a, special, a special day for us, so we really get to talk deeply about the business. Ross, I mean, excellent job. You and your team you know, pull, pulled it off again. I think the transparency that you have is apparent. You know, we've really tried to do everything. Amit, you know, all the work that you and your teams are, have been doing is, is, uh, um, is, is, is really impressive. And I would just finally say that, you know, I think Avalara is this interesting special company, right? I mean, it's, it, it has so many things that, that make it, you know, really resilient in good and bad times. And it has so many growth vectors, you know, that we've been able to do. And, and uh, you know, I think we have a really, really focused, you know, sort of myopic approach on, you know, that, that interim model that you've put, you know, um, whether we've said it in the past or, you know, whether we've outlined it, it's sort of the journey we've been on. And I love the fact that we've put it out there and said, you know, that's what we're going to go, you know, go do. And I'm like, good luck, guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it, it's really been a, a great journey to do it with you all and, and, and the like. And, and Jennifer, thank you very much for, for, you know, getting us through all this. Uh, thank you all. Appreciate it. See you next year. Take care.